Hello everyone and welcome back to the Three Guys Talk Football podcast, the podcast where three guys talk football. Um, tough week really in the old uh, football department in terms of finding things to talk about. Doesn't yeah. feel like much has been going on. Uh, it's yeah, just kind of business dry. as usual. Yeah. Um, I think it was some sort of managerial thing at some club no one really cares about, but it didn't really seem to make mainstream headlines. Um definitely not loads of panicked last minute podcast changes uh, across <laughs> the internet or anything like that and um technology seems to be going well as well var is pretty flawless so there's not really anything to dive into there i am of course joking with delightful wit uh <laughs> it's been an event eventful week especially as a chelsea fan um both of the big talking points involve chelsea uh, so that's always fun. You know, things are going swimmingly when that's the case. Um, and those two things are the managerial change, unexpected in a lot of quarters, I think. Um, switching Thomas Tuchel for Graham Potter, which has, at time of recording, been confirmed. And VAR making some questionable decisions again. And to talk about it in extensive detail is myself, George White. Chris King, hello Chris. Hello. And Nathan Warby, hello Nathan. Hello. hello. So, this is going to be one where the attention for at least the first half of the podcast is switched to myself, I believe, as our resident Chelsea expert and um, the guy that's most used to unexpected and arguably harsh managerial changes. Um I'm going to throw it to you guys. Do you want to fire some questions my way, see if we can get through this uh, this switch that seems to have taken a lot of people by surprise? Yeah, uh, I, mean... I was going to say, like, how, how happy are you about it? Uh, happy is not necessarily the word. I'm kind of indifferent, but that's how I felt about Chelsea for quite a while uh, because watching some of our games, watching a lot of our games, has been painful. Uh, I... Spoke to you guys off mic about the last time that I properly enjoyed a Chelsea game, uh, as in from a purely entertainment point of view. And it was the 7-0 against Norwich in October 2021. Uh, and with the prices that Sky Sports and BT Sport charge, it's a lot of wasted money uh, that you're paying there to watch games that are enjoyable. So, yes, in that regard, I'm looking forward to hopefully having a more attacking style of play. I mean, we've been promised this as Chelsea fans a lot over the years. Maurizio Sarri was meant to be that guy. Um, Andre Villas-Boas was meant to be that guy. And we usually end up reverting back to uh, a kind of defensive-minded coach after trying that. But this one feels different, um, I think, with the new ownership um, and a five-year contract on the table, which is kind of unprecedented for a Chelsea manager. I'm hopeful. Like, I'm wondering, did it feel like it was inevitable? Because I think to a lot of people that aren't sort of watching it week in, week out, it feels a little bit out of the blue. Like, I was talking to one of my friends earlier, and like, I kind of compared it to the Di Matteo uh, sacking, where it's kind of like, sort of, he's, you know, he's won the Champions League with you. Obviously, last season was a pretty difficult season for things kind of out of his control. It kind of felt like it in like a bit of a grace period. So I was like, has this been on the cards, or is it a bit of a knee jerk thing based on what he said recently? 
Yeah, so that's the weird thing is that it feel it did feel like something wasn't quite right. Um, Tuchel wasn't the same kind of charismatic guy that he usually is. He was kind of making complaints at a greater rate than Jurgen Klopp, which is never a good sign. Um, you take that back. It's the one thing we've got right now. It's the one thing that we're top at. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are now. Yeah, we got rid of our Mona, but yours is still there. Anyhow. Um, and yeah, you could tell in the body language of a lot of players, especially the attacking players, that something wasn't working. I think he alienated quite a lot of the dressing room. I think he has a kind of more old school approach to players at times. Um, I think in the modern football, you you kind of have to have an arm around the shoulder kind of manager at every club, unless it's Atletico Madrid or apparently Roma. Um, these days because, of, you know, that's just how modern footballers are built. They're not the type, the Drogba's and Lampard's where you can kind of just hurl abuse their way and they step up and prove you wrong. It's You have to be more gentle, I think, especially with how young our squad is. Um, and the actual setup didn't change in almost two years. I mean, it was clear that this wasn't working in terms of breaking down a low block. Um, and yet we still kind of persisted with, you know, passing to feet, not really trying to get in behind, not having a focal point in attack. I've, I've spoken to Chris a lot about this off mic, about how it was kind of Lampard-esque at times where we're great at getting it out to the wings. We're great at crossing, but we have no one to aim at. Uh, I mean, Havertz is six foot two, but he's not, you know, he's not your Didier Drogba powerful player. And it was just the, the same kind of approach game in, game out, uh, kind of, yeah, sorry-esque in that way, and that you could tell how we were going to set up. Uh, Tuchel tried to switch it a couple of times this season to four at the back and did not end well. Um, a couple of switches to four, two, 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 just ended up leaving us incredibly exposed. I think the signings that were paid a lot of money for haven't looked like they've been integrated into the squad very well. Uh, Koulibaly looks average at the moment. Fafana looked a bit out of his depth against Dinamo Zagreb. I think he was thrown in too early. And that's, yeah, we lost the solidity at the back as well, which was the thing that made Tuchel what he is. And um, you can kind of accept a dull attacking display when, you know, you've got a real solid defence and you you can out wins, but that wasn't the case either. So that's on the pitch. And then off the pitch, I will say in defence of the owner's you know, yeah, Tuchel did a lot of great stuff for Chelsea off the pitch and on it, especially during the transition period where, you know, we didn't even know if we were going to have a club <laughs> at one point. Uh, and he'll always be a kind of, yeah, a much-loved figure for that. I, I do love him for all of his off-the-pitch stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, he wasn't Todd Bowley's manager. You know, he, he was there when Bowley arrived. And so he doesn't really owe him anything because he, you know, he wasn't responsible for the the sanctions or anything like that. And these guys, you know, clearly Capital and Todd Bowley have invested over four billion pounds into this business. Um, you know, if it was any other business, you'd say they have the right to choose who's in charge of all that money and who's in charge of the club. And um, yeah, I think in in that regard, you can't really blame them. I, I've seen a lot of people say, you know, it's the same old Chelsea hiring and firing, but yeah, they didn't hire him. Um, and They've given a manager here a five-year contract and have clearly sold him a long-term plan because Graham Potter is one of the smartest managers out there. 
he's also one of the safest managers. You know, he's he's definitely risk averse, and um, he would have had to have been sold a vision here that I think is promising in terms of actually breaking this uh, trend and having someone who can stick around and actually get attached to before uh, yeah before hearts are broken. I think it's quite smart how Brighton like Brighton have still managed to come out quite well as this deal because like Potter was always going to go at some point um but like like with Pesuma and like with you know many other players that have kind of left the club like Cucurella for example and they've still managed to get like 21 million quid for him I think that's a really smart smart move um is there any concern over the fact that obviously Potter does have has typically had like dry spells so obviously last season there was that period where like they didn't have a win for like, I think it was like three months or something obviously that's that's fine at Brighton but like at, at a much bigger club like Chelsea A could that potentially not happen because obviously they've got better firepower obviously we know all the XG stuff like they should have finished fifth one year based on on like expected goals and all of that but like is that going to be a concern or do you think that he'll be given the time that he needs to get his methods across I think yes to both. To be honest, uh, it's definitely concerning. Obviously, he's never, you know, he's never won a big trophy either, uh, which is, again, kind of unprecedented for a, a Chelsea manager. Frank Lampard was a different case. We had the transfer ban and things like that, um, and you know, he's a club legend. But yeah, this is the first time we've kind of taken a punt on a completely inexperienced manager, especially at Premier, like top of the Premier League, European level, uh, and yeah, there's dry spells have to be concerning but I mean dry spells at Chelsea at the moment are kind of part of the package <laughs> so it won't be too much of a change there and I think like you say Brighton have put together an incredible starting eleven, but I think obviously the squad depth isn't the same as it will be at Chelsea I mean you know you can look at if you know Kukure is not playing well you swap in Chilwell if Aubameyang is not playing well you bring in Broya We've got about 50 midfielders to choose from. So, yeah, I think he's got enough resources to mix things up and he's the type of manager that isn't scared to mix things up and always has, like, several plans. Um, and I think what I'm most excited about is that he's a top coach and we have players that can improve, whether they're youngsters or even the most senior players in the side. You can see where they need to improve. And I think he's the kind of guy that would take that time for the more personable approach and you know, tailor individual programs to improve players. I mean, you look at people like Mason Mount, he's got to step up another level or two. Um, he seems to be regressing at the moment. And I just think he needs someone new with new ideas and a new approach to, to kind of help him get back. Uh, and I think that, that applies to quite a lot of players. So I, I'm hopeful. I don't know, as you know, I wouldn't say we're favourites to win any trophy this year, but if we can get top four, and kind of have that first step in this five-year plan, then I'll be happy with that for sure. Yeah, I think um, I think for Chelsea now it's a case of kind of mirroring what Liverpool did when Klopp first arrived. Like, there's going to be some rocky spells, and it's not going to like it's not going to all fall into place straight away because it's going to be a completely different system. Obviously, he's got to adapt to the fact that he's at a much bigger club with a lot more resources, uh, managing bigger egos. So yeah, I think it's just a case of giving him time, like. I know they've given the five-year contract, but do you think, like, do you think this new owner, because under Abramovich, it was very much like he wanted results straight away. Do you think, do you think Potter will get, let's say, you know, say 
say come the end of the season, you're, in a, you're, you're over the league spot. Do you think he's still around for next season? Yeah, I think so. I think everything this ownership's done has been with a focus on the long term. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying it's been, you know, a bit chaotic or they don't really look like they know what they're doing. I completely disagree, to be honest. I think we had a really good window. Uh, I've said before, if other clubs have this window, I think they're getting a lot of praise for it. We're not, but that's how it is to be a Chelsea fan. Uh, but there's been a real focus on youth as well as getting experienced players in there. I mean, Wesley Fofana has the potential to be one of the best defenders in the world for a decade. You've got players like Carney Chukwomeka and Cesare Casadei who haven't even begun to reach anywhere near their best. I mean, the potential on those two is incredible. And that they spend some big money. I mean, they cost potentially could cost forty million quid just for those two. So yeah, I mean, these guys are, are here for the long run, and I think they like what Potter could do, and I think they're going to be patient and and reasonable um, to there let him get us there. Um, yeah, obviously, without Champions League football, that's a financial hit, so it's always difficult to to say whether that will be an issue or not, but I don't, I don't think it will. Like I say, I think Potter would not... He didn't take the Spurs job because he didn't think it was right for him. I don't think he would give up what is ultimately a pretty spot-on job at Brighton where you've got just ultimate security. Uh, he would not take the risk if, if there weren't assurances that he will be here in a few years' time, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, I, I don't think they're taking it. Like I, I think, um, like you said earlier, I think he he's, he's someone that thrives in like a long term project. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, to most people, like, out of all the candidates, I think you could have gone for. I think he's he is probably the best one. Like I like I wanted him to be the next Liverpool manager after Klopp leaves. So yeah, yeah. He, he he was one of those. I think I would be a lot more sad about losing Tuchel if it wasn't Potter replacing him. Like if we were bringing in Pochettino, I'd be printing off pictures of Tuchel and going to sleep crying. <laughs> yeah, that'd be um, yeah. But it just feels like, to me, it feels like the right person at this moment in time, where we are in such a crazy transition. We've got to start fresh, properly clean slate. It's been all change at the top of the club. It's going to be all change at the coaching level as well. Um, and a lot of change in personnel. It just feels like we need a properly fresh start, fresh ideas. And it's a chance to really rebrand the club into into an exciting attacking side, which we've wanted to be for a long time. It's all Abramovich wanted. Never quite happened. But I think there is a real opportunity now with the players that we have to make that happen. So, so I think he's the right guy. I, do. I think this is a big time for Chelsea because, like, again, from sort of an outside perspective, Chelsea... In the national way, they haven't been, like, the most likeable club, I think, for a long time, like, with Abramovich and then Obviously, Chelsea fans love Tuchel, but he's not the most likable on the out, like outside fans. You know, like Klopp. I mean, Klopp's getting a bit more divisive now, but obviously, he's got <laughs> but like when it, like when Klopp first came in, he had this charisma, so like neutral fans yeah, sided with him, started to begin with. Like Chelsea haven't had that for a long time, but I think obviously new owner, like an English manager like Potter, is instantly get people back on side. And then if he can, you know, if, if he can get players like Mason Mount, Sterling, Reese James firing, then yeah, I think I think it could be like the start of like a big big few years for you yeah like i say it's a chance to be to be a different club um which yeah. i personally need because i haven't felt this disassociated with chelsea for a long time and it is sad uh it saves me money 
on paying for Sky and BT. But uh, yeah, I, I, I like my, I quite like my football, so I'd like to enjoy it again, please. That's that's yeah. all. I, want. I mean, to be fair, Potter bring, brings that kind of like wholesome vibe, like you said, like, and it's kind of the the opposite of it's kind of when Frank came back, like that initial season when it was like all youngsters and youth and stuff. Um, that that was a lot more like obviously chill times. So it'd be nice to get you back to that point because I I like Chelsea at that point, and then it's. Like say, it's gone back to just feeling a bit, um, like soulless a little bit. So would be nice. And on that uplifting note, uh, we will move on to some more incredibly uplifting chat around <laughs> VAR. Everyone's favourite topic to talk about. Um, always a good laugh. Just looking at the future of football and seeing it's. Uh, Incredibly sad decline as fans are no longer able to celebrate goals because they worry that it's going to be chalked out for no discernible reason. And uh, on the topic of Chelsea being unlikable, uh, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, Eddie Mendy, am I right? Um, I mean, he did us a favour. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, VAR was brought in to stop decisions like this. Uh, and overturn yeah. decisions where players kind of play acting to get a you know skewed result, which is exactly what happened. I mean, there's barely a, a touch on him. It's it's completely natural motion um, from the West Ham player at the weekend, and yeah, he's rolling around. And VAR's decided not just to reinforce a wrong decision, but to actually overturn the right decision. It's crazy. Um, and then there was another one in Newcastle versus Crystal Palace, where player is essentially pushed into the goalkeeper, and um, it was not seen that way. So, obviously, there's a lot of debate. I think a lot of people uh, after this weekend, but after the season as a whole, that are ready to just bin VAR uh, completely. Nathan, are you on this extreme, or is it a case of trying to get better people on the technology? Yeah, I think it's a. I, I do think technology is the answer, but I think it's yeah, it's just finding the right, the right people to operate it, and then the right rules to enforce it. I think is the most important thing. Like, um, like the the, the offside has always been baffling to me because it always seems like the easiest, like it should be the easiest one to get right, and it's it's still like the fact it's still a talking point is ridiculous. Like, I've never understood why it isn't just, you know, when you're watching a game, and they, they, they freeze it and then they put that one line across i feel like it should just be that that should be var and if you can't tell from there that it's not offside like that's how i've always kind of seen it or maybe if you can't tell from there then you go to the other angle if you still can't tell then it's like it's not offside i don't, I don't yeah, understand i don't understand this zooming in and getting the protractor i don't out. get why there's two lines that doesn't you don't need two lines no no if, yeah if... I, I think it yeah it is just a case of finding the right the, the right rules to enforce it like something that I, like I, i've mentioned it before but like I, I don't see it ever happening but i think it should almost be like uh like the rules are in tennis you know where, like both teams have got like three challenges or something so then like it, it, you know if, if a decision is made and it's a bit dubious if the, if the, like if it's the captain or the manager that's in charge of it like if they believe enough that that was the wrong call they, they challenge it and then they go to var otherwise var doesn't check anything because then I th- then I feel like it's more, it's it's been safe for the moments where the play like the players themselves actually feel like something is 
whether it's been a mistake, because we're, we're seeing it a lot of time now where players aren't even appealing and goals are being chalked off. And that just feels off to me. Yeah, it feels very anti-entertainment again, doesn't it? It's, it's really penalising a yeah, good attacking player. I mean, you saw, again, with the Coutinho goal uh, last week, that was chalked off incredibly harshly, and that was a, a wonder strike. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's a good way to do it, actually, because it feels like every three minutes there's a VAR check, and these things do not <laughs> do not pass quickly. No, uh, like you say, some are taking four or five minutes. It's insane. Um, and the, the fans, both in the stadium and like on TV, don't get any real insight into what's happening either. That's the other frustrating thing. Um, I think I think the other kind of nonsense thing about it is the fact that there's no ex-players like there helping with the decisions because surely that they're, they're going to know they're going to be in the best position to know whether someone's play acting or calling a ref or whatever and also that adds that buffer of like well the refs all have to agree with each other because they're all busy mates i just it, it, it's, it it's so poorly done and in true like premier league fashion it's just somehow managing to get worse and i don't quite understand how like the offside thing like we were meant to be fixing that and it's still crap like and the two decisions at the weekend are just really hammer home like like, like you know even even the arsenal game like we said we were saying a little bit earlier off camera like is that push on ericsson enough to be we're going to take it to var or is it just one ref calls it a bit of argy bargy puts play on one ref doesn't do you know what i mean like I think this is the problem. I think like even though we've got VAR, it's still it's like obviously like offsides are kind of they're black or white. It's either offside or it isn't. But like with, with things like fouls, like the the uh, the one on Mendy and then the the Newcastle one, it's kind of like it's open to interpretation because obviously mm. like like a, like a goalkeeper's going to think he's been fouled there. So like anyone watching it, that like any ex goalkeeper watching it would probably say, oh that's a foul. Mm. But majority of other people wouldn't. So yeah, I do think there's, there should be at least one or ideally two or three but like at least one ex-professional on VAR for every game just to mm. give it just to give it another side of it as like a like a practical I've played the game like I've been in the situation mm-hmm. I know because like, like the um say like, like with, with the Mendy one especially like I don't understand what he's supposed to do he's like not a, he's nothing he can do yeah like it, it's the most nothing thing. like if he's that if he's that same thing happened on the halfway line between the two like between two midfielders we wouldn't even be talking about it. No. It'd just be carry on, like play on, wouldn't it? Also, VAR seems totally against the whole thing with the refs being told to let play carry on in terms of like, you know, let there be more fouls, let there be more, don't let only go for soft fouls. And then like say things like the Ericsson one where like that probably could, would be, if it hadn't led to a goal, that wouldn't have been given as a foul. And it's just, it's so inconsistent. That's the thing. It's inconsistent. And it's just terrible. It, that that there's no other other word for it. Like, yeah, and it's in keeping with just not even VAR, just R at the moment. The quality of referee, the referee is yeah, absolutely just... atrocious to the point where it, it's another reason that I'm feeling disillusioned with football in general, just because it's just they get so much wrong and they make they make games about themselves. Mm. Um, they say they're intervening when they don't need to. They're making big decisions and big calls and getting them wrong. Um, and yeah, there's just not a priority of entertainment. It's it's really no. weird. And it's 
it's completely going against you know what the Premier League and and the EFL as organisations and as businesses ultimately are trying to do, which is make this a marketable, enjoyable sport that they can sell around the globe. And it's really interesting that that is increasingly their priority, trying to you know rinse every last penny that they can out of it. And yet the FA and the referees are just completely you know they're trying to make every game excruciatingly dull and um frustrating so yeah i think it's a, a bigger issue than just var in that yeah the ref refereeing in general the quality is so poor i don't really know how you fix it because i imagine it's not a particularly attractive job to many people no. uh, but i do think i think a lot of referees are allowed to stay at the top level for too long and aren't shifted around i mean you know, you look at referees like, you know, let's just put one out of the air, Anthony Taylor, maybe. Um, how, and... how, like, how did I know you were going to say Anthony Taylor out of everybody? Well, no real issue. Yeah, no, no, nothing personally against him. You know, he's just one of the most prominent uh, prominent referees in the country. So, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I say offenders. <laughs> but yeah, he's, you know, um, how many times did Mike Dean end up? Been oh, analysed on match of the oh, day for the choices, and now he's he's like the senior VAR. So yeah, I just think they're they're a too this is too friendly. I think between yeah. the FA and and referees and the referees association, they're clearly too close to each other, and there are there aren't enough people that are willing to say you're terrible at your job. We're going to demote you for a bit, sort yourself out, and then you can come back because yeah, it's the same faces. Every season, regardless of how poor they are, they never have to come out and actually defend their decisions. They can, they have no accountability whatsoever. If a referee, uh, if a manager is annoyed at a refereeing decision, they can't say anything because they'll get fined. And yeah, it's just prioritizing the wrong aspect of the game for me. Um, it's so, yeah. like it's like with those two decisions we're talking about, and also with the Coutinho offside thing, that the refs have actually like come out and been like yeah we, we 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 messed that up there boys and it's just like well that doesn't do any good for anyone because like you can't retroactively give say newcastle the points even though it went in like they don't get the three points it's not like when people get red cards rescinded and stuff newcastle have still only got a point even though they should have won it's not because like, yeah. in, in, in the past that wouldn't have happened like in, in the past you just you just have to deal with it at least, yeah. at least now it's like because there's been a lot of a lot of people said, haven't they, that they want referees to do interviews after the game, the same as managers. And like, I kind of get the argument for that, but like, I don't personally because no matter what, I think that we, makes them more more well, celebrity as well. well. Not even that. Well, I mean, yeah, there is that, I guess. But like, yeah, you know, say you know, you just been you just had a goal disallowed the 95th minute that would have been the winning goal, and then it turns out it was actually onside. There's nothing that referee is going to say after the game is going to make you feel a bit better about it. I don't think it actually achieves anything. I feel like I feel like what they did after those ones at the weekend is actually the right thing to do. Just come out and say we made a mistake. We're sorry. We'll work on it. And I feel like like it doesn't solve the problem. But at least then it's like they've acknowledged it. It's just then it's just one of those things you can move on from it. Like I I don't think I don't think they're actually coming out and you know giving into you after the game. I don't think that really that really benefits anybody. I I do think we should be able to hear what they're saying though. Especially, like maybe not throughout the entire game, but definitely when they are sort of intervening, I feel like we should yeah, be able 
we should be able to hear what's being said between both, like between Stockley Park and the referee. I think that's what's frustrating. Like you say, the technology works so well in other sports, other really complicated sports. I mean, sports like rugby, there are so many crazy rules and, you know, the boundaries between what's a foul and what's a good tackle and everything is so thin. And yet they their use of VAR has been top draw for like a decade, over a decade now. So the, the one that I always go back to is tennis. Like, like, how, like, don't worry. Like in every sport, there are there are you know referees make mistakes because that's bound to happen. Like that's inevitable. But like football seems to be the only one where it's every single game you can you can look at at least four or five things and say well that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong. Like but it, like in tennis, balls are being pinged at like hundreds of miles an hour, and how often is it wrong? And like and then there, but, and like and if, and if it is wrong, the players challenge it, and then the technology goes, oh no, he was right. And it's like, and it's it, how long does it take? Like ten seconds, and then the game's back on as if it never happened. Yeah. But for, for some reason in football, it's this like long, drawn out thing. We have to sit and wait for five minutes to find out that the goal that you, that you just celebrated like a mad, like a mad twat and knocked over your beer, it didn't actually count. It just seems, yeah. FA Cup final against Leicester comes to mind, but hey ho, I'm not salty about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, like even at uh, the point, like like watching the Liverpool game last night, like. For every single one of their goals, I didn't even get annoyed straight away because I was just like, "Please disallow it!" Like, like I was waiting for VR, like, "Please find a reason to disallow it." Like, it, like it, it just it changes, it, it, like, it yeah. changes the way you watch games now. Well, there was the the obviously I I, I watch Villa more than any other team, but there was Stevie G's like celebration for the goal, and then he's like slamming his hand down, being like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 calm down! It's not been checked yet." And it's like that just takes the fun out of it, man. One thing I wanted to say on the Champions I know not a Champions League show, but uh, it was interesting that they had that little 2004-level graphic uh, showing offsides. I don't know if you saw that, oh, Nathan. No, I uh, well, they, they used it for the Chelsea game, and it's basically like, yeah, little, <laughs> little avatar versions of the players, and it shows exactly where's offside in like this little uh, barrier. And despite looking awful graphics wise it does spell out a lot more clearly what's going on with the offsides um and again that's something that the uefa are happy to use but the fa and the premier league not so much um i think i think a lot of it comes down to people being in jobs for too long (laughs) having too good uh job security without you know being innovative enough to really justify it um that's a discussion for another time we will wrap up as we always do with a bit of FPL chat. Um, we're going to start with we'll start with you, Nate Dog. Uh, how's it going? You're you're doing pretty well, right? You top of the top of the league. Is that how it's how it's going right now? Yeah, still top. Clinging on. What wasn't my best week last week, but uh, I had a little cushion, so uh, I think mean, it's now gone. I think I'm sort of 15 points ahead. Um, Especially just Liverpool's form is making me panic. Like I'm, I'm questioning every decision that I made at the start of the season. Now, like I'm, I'm looking at Salah, who was like the first player I put in. Going, does he go? Out? Does he stay in? Does he go out? Like he's not scoring as many goals, but he's, he's still on paper one of the most creative players in the league. Still, like he creates the most chances, and he's still getting quite a few assists. And I was like, but it's 13 mil tied up in one player, so I'm not sure what to do. And Trent's just decided to give up on his life. So do I keep him in? Do I not? These are the questions. Like I've, I've taken out Luis Diaz and put in Rashford because I'm trying to capitalise on their 
United's form. Uh, Bottas been reliably informed that my United's game has been postponed to the weekend, so that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, Sam is an interesting one. Uh, we've kind of discussed it in that we all have him at the moment, so this kind of you, you don't really want to be the first ones to take that risk because he is such a consistent. He's one of those, even when he goes on bad runs, you look back at the end of the season, he's consistently top of the FPL points list. So you don't want to be the, the chump that you know thought, was thinking short-term, thinking about the money, and then uh, misses out on, on reliable points. This one means like, you've got to kind of play the game as well. Like It's not just putting in the players that you think are going to do well. It's like, well, I'm trying to beat him, so if I can, if I can match him in certain places and it's kind of like cancel out their points... Uh, also, Chris is now batch rats in the United game match. So we're going ahead, Chris. Do you want to? I'm going to dub you in on pod. That's fine. Feel free to dub me in. That's fine. Like we we trying to shaft me or so? No, I was I wasn't trying to deliberately shaft you. It was genuine accidental idiocy from so my it, part. So we United have game. no reliable sources here. We have no reliable sources. <laughs> the only reliable source is me, and now I'm an idiot. Um, yeah, I think it is going. I just double checked it. I think I got it confused with the Brighton one. So is the Brighton game going ahead as well? No, that's not, isn't it? That's definitely been postponed. Because I thought it was Brighton Palace that got postponed. Oh, I thought it was Brighton Palace that got postponed. This is why I got confused. But Palace are playing United, so... Because what I'm saying is, if I've taken out Rashford and Gross and put in Andreas and Nico Williams and those games go ahead, I will be absolutely fuming. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll double-check. We'll double-check. We'll come back to you. But I I just Googled Man United Palace and that's still going ahead. So it seems to be whatever the following game is when Brighton play Crystal Palace. Yes, that is correct. There are no reliable sources anywhere to be found. It is the Brighton game against Crystal Palace on the 17th. Ah, that's why I was getting confused. That said, um, there's been some uh, sad monarchy-related news, uh, which means that those train strikes might actually not be going ahead. So Brighton may still be playing after all on that one as well. So all in all, uh, top quality <laughs> in the know football journalism going on here. Um, Chris. Hello. How about you? How you doing? I had a smashing week considering I had a terrible Good. week the week before. Um, week before I thought I was down and out and he had like 30 points, got smacked by everyone. Um, literally came bottom of every single league I was in that week, so that was fun. Um, but li- yeah, you know, sixty-three points. Ivan Tony g- getting me seventeen points alongside Harland, which was nice. And Nick Pope, as always, bagging me a clean sheet saves. Um, yeah, no, all, all in all, quite good, quite confident for this week. Um, as as Nathan has done, I've also decided to get Rashford in because obviously that midfielder. But actually playing the striker tax is just the one. Um, and I too am considering Salah. If Salah doesn't bag against Wolves, he's gone for me. That's big talk, but the I think the big question this week is who do you captain? Because obviously Holland is the go to choice, I think, at the moment. But against uh, Conte Spurs defence, do we back in to get enough points to justify the captaincy? Uh, Chris, where how are you going? I've gone. I've gone Jesus against Everton. Me too. Yeah, it, it's the way. I'm debating t- Tony against Southampton though because they're also. See, I was going to do that, and I was like, this would be the game where he probably injures himself in the fifth minute and he's out for the season. So yeah, I'm playing it safe. I'm, I'm going for yeah, Jesus. Going so. uh, 
getting you back in Horner, Nathan. I'm, I'm torn between. Oh yeah, I'm probably going to switch up and go for either Jesus or Salah. I'm not sure whether it's like I'm banking on the sort of you know sh- shocking week, big sort of bounce back. That is, but, you're you're going chips on the table. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'll either cut you from my team or give you the captaincy. I like that. It's very. Uh... Well, yeah, like like some players need arm around the shoulder, some people need a rocket. So I'm going to go arm around the shoulder first and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, very Jurgen Klopp esque. Uh, I respect Nathan, it. Nathan with the Galaxy Brain play there. Yeah. Well, we shall see. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I well, maybe I'll just give uh, Emerson my new signing from West Ham the captaincy, and uh, I'll do you all with the big brain plays. But <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the one the one neat week that um, Ney obviously captained um, Cancelo, he bagged headloads of points. So the temptation to put Pope as captain is quite high. Against a West Ham team that are struggling to score. Yeah, you do that. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go Horn and Jesus. You go Pope, and uh, and the form you're in, it'll probably work. But on that uh, intense, um, fact-filled uh, <laughs> chat there, that really um, emphasised our integrity within the sporting world, we will bring this mess of a podcast to a close hang on hang on, hang on. before we do before, sorry to make it even more of a mess do we ask you how you're doing josh uh no no and i how, think we i think i think Rude. i'm bottom of our group the funny thing is what's impressive is i've got all literally all green arrows in every other league that i'm in <laughs> yet you guys it's always 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 you too uh, yeah i went down to bottom so yeah, I'm, I actually had a decent week of 61 points. Yeah, I mean, you did Which well. is 16 above the average. Um, I'm only two behind Chris, so it's, it's nice. It's good. It's nice to have a, a good close mm. league for once. It's only game week seven coming up. but By this point last year, yeah, Nathan had smoked us. Yeah, I'd already given up. I'm not going to lie. I think I deleted the app and just left it as it was for the rest of the year. Yeah. Anywho, uh, we will bring the podcast to a close at attempt number two, unless Chris has any more interruptions he has up his sleeve. Nope. Nope, it's a nope. Uh, much like Jordan Peele. <laughs> if you're still here, um, the question Congrats. is why? But the statement is thank you for sticking around and listening to this podcast. Next week's will be a lot more... Uh, professional and well researched and we will get much better sources uh until then we hope for a less eventful week in a lot of ways uh and a points filled week both in the league and in the fancy league we hope the same for you too bye